Hey, what's up, everybody? Super excited for this week's episode with Augustina over at Square. We talk about market research, and it's a good one. It's a good way to up-level your market research skills, figure out how you can build better research practices into your work as a product marketer. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. This is our last episode of 2020. Amazing, we've done so many episodes, and goodbye 2020. We'll see you later. We won't miss you. We won't miss you 2020, but I hope everyone has a really wonderful new year. Uh, happy holidays and thank you as always for listening to this show and tuning in. I really, really appreciate you guys. This podcast is a partnership with Sharebird. Sharebird.com is a peer mentoring platform. It's the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with your product marketing career. It's an awesome website. They've got a bunch of new podcasts rolling out. Shout out to Sharebird doing really, really great work for product marketers. If you have any questions or ideas or email podcasts, at sharebird.com. We'd love to hear from you. Shout out to our sponsor, Crayon. If you aren't familiar with it, Crayon is an awesome tool for product marketers, awesome software. Crayon analyzes market trends for you, makes acting on insights easy. This means dynamically updated battle cards for your sales teams, alerts, dashboards, much more. Crayon is an awesome tool for marketers looking to maintain differentiated messaging, improve sales win rates, catch important updates from competitors, and much more. Check them out at crayon.co. All right, last episode of the year. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Experts brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we're diving deep into market research and personas. We haven't covered this one yet, so I'm super, super excited. Is product marketing a research role? Not necessarily, not really, but being able to gather and distill insights about your customer, the market, and your product is core, 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 core to being successful as a PMM. When you're good at this, you really command so much knowledge and power. No one in the company is better situated to know that intersection of where the product and customer and market meet. And if you know it really, really well, you're going to be invited to every meeting and really have the opportunity to elevate the strategic impact of product marketing. But how do you do it? You know, sure, talk to sales and customers, right? But how can you approach this problem with the right focus, process, tools to consistently be great here, to be able to scale this research and get better faster? This is a great question. And we have a really great product marketing expert to help us out. Augustina Sacerdote is the product marketing lead at Square Point of Sale. And she did a really great AMA on this exact topic on sharebird.com. So super excited to chat with her. Augustina, how are you doing? Hi, Marcus. I'm doing well. Excited to be here with you and chat about this meaty and somewhat political topic at times. <laughs> it is. It's funny why research has become so, can be so political or like controversial, but I think there is a sort of a microscope on personas right now for good reason. And mm -hmm. some people are big research proponents, others don't believe it as much. Anyway, we can get into all that, but I, where I want to start is just, how did you get into product marketing? How did you wind up at Square? Yeah. So I, I have to admit, and I have obviously a little bit of an imposter syndrome around this. I fell into product marketing management, to be, to be honest. I started my career in marketing consulting, which to me was a great opportunity to get exposed to all sorts of different marketing challenges, uh, marketing problems, strategy across a wide set of industries. And I soon realized after a couple of years 
working for all types of different clients that the marketing challenges that a Fortune 500 company faces are not super different from early seed stage startup, right? Like we're all looking for growth. We're all looking for product market fit. And at the end of the day, what drives a lot of the success for these different types of companies is understanding customers. And I spent a bunch of time just doing that, getting familiarized with different types of frameworks and just getting really comfortable breaking down different types of problems into bite-sized challenges. And I think that's something that I still carry with me today. And in, I want to say like around 2015, 2014, like a lot of people in San Francisco, I wanted to be part of a startup. And so... I, I got really lucky and had the opportunity to just dive right into it by running marketing and growth for a, a big agricultural technology startup. And after that, I just kind of fell in love with the building and the creating something and did that with varying degrees of success. Some acquisitions, some flailing companies. And now I decided to be at Square because from a consumer point of view, I, I just love every time I walk into a coffee shop or a restaurant and, and see the beautiful hardware, the beautiful experience. And from a branding perspective, it's one of those companies that has always really stuck to its mission, right, of helping small businesses. And it's been stressful, but quite a privilege to have been part of the company this year, particularly, right, where small business as a whole has been completely shaken. And we're helping small businesses at scale, which is a rare opportunity in, in one's career. I decided to join. I saw a, a role kind of leading things that sounded like things I had done before, messaging, product growth, understanding, retention, and driving the business. And it just, honestly, it happened to be called product marketing, but I wasn't necessarily familiarized with the formal definition of the function. And I soon realized that product marketing takes a completely different shape depending on the company you're working at and the stage of the company and the team. I'm enjoying the, the experience so far, but it really is, it does come down to like understanding who you're trying to serve and why, and how you're going to be able to do it in a way that benefits all parties. And at the end of the day, that's what it means to me. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I, love I like Square too. I agree that any company that is uh, building for the entrepreneur and the small business, it, it's just great to see. No offense to anybody who works at Amazon, but it's Shopify and how they help entrepreneurs and how that is, is, yep. is different in e-com versus some of the bigger players. I just think it's an awesome story. It's a cool mission. But yeah, really interesting. All right, so today we're going to talk about research. It's a big part of any PMM's role. What are the areas that PMM's need to be experts in? Before we talk about the tools and how do you acquire that knowledge, like where are the places where PMM's really need to have uh, strong domain knowledge? Sure. So I think the, the beauty of product marketing is that you are exposed to a wide number of marketing and, and product development functions, right? So at any given day, you need to develop messaging, you need to look at acquisition, partner with PMs on how to prioritize the roadmap. But to me, in my experience, there are two main things that make product marketers truly successful and powerful as part of an organization. One is really understanding the drivers of the business. I don't necessarily mean understanding the ins and outs of the business model or like what's, what are the underlying factors in the PNL, but really understanding what are the levers that can drive disproportionate growth. And if you think about that in the context of product marketing, 
uncovering opportunities for growth typically means knowing what features or product experiences will bring remarkability to a customer, knowing what are the marketing channels that you can uh, invest in a way that is profitable and sustainable, and even understanding like where can the next segment um, that you target be. And so as PMMs, we're constantly in the business of making trade-offs and having a working knowledge of what are the business opportunities that drives growth can help you make decisions relatively quickly. And so that's one. And then number two, which is, is really understanding the customer. And so, yes, like that means functionally, right? Like in the case of Square, for example, we serve small businesses and we need to really understand what kinds of businesses, how many employees do they have, what's their annual revenue and things like that. But what sets a product marketer apart is more of a an emotional kind of understanding of the customer, right? Having that deep empathy for the struggle and the pain points, that is the most important perspective that you can bring to any conversation, right? That could be a roadmap meeting, that could be a copy review for the next campaign, could be a brief. When you truly understand what is the emotional driver behind that purchase decision and what is the ultimate goal, that's a very powerful filter through which you can evaluate your work and where to go next. And obviously, research plays a role in that, but I think it's just more of the discipline of of just acknowledging that this understanding is probably much more important than a number of successful executions. Like, you just need to yeah. deeply connect with who you're trying to sell to. Yeah, I think both of those examples and points are great. Understanding the the business and sort of the levers and where things are headed and how you can get there. But yes, knowing the customer especially on that deeper level. I do think you're right. It's not something that every PMM possesses and it can take some time, but you really become strategically so valuable when you can walk into a meeting and rattle off some examples from customers, those things that drive them from an emotional standpoint. What are they frustrated with? You know, what makes them really happy? What makes their lives easier? Really valuable. So love that. So how do you acquire this? We could look at through either one of those lenses, the business or the customer. How do you acquire that information? Personally, what does that look like for you when you go out and you want to say like, all right, I want to learn this new customer segment better um, or learn this Mm -hmm. piece of the business better? So two things, a manager standpoint and a product marketing lead, I think our team benefits tremendously from people that just have a natural intellectual curiosity for who you're trying to serve. And so this is where, Mm. from a product marketing standpoint, you are so much better at your job when you are personally invested in what you're trying to do. So if, if you care about, for example, small business, personally, you are just more likely to be more in emotionally invested in who these people are and just continue to ask questions and have that be a part of your day-to-day responsibility. And for me, my wife gets pretty annoyed when we go out to coffee because I end up talking to people at the cash register for 45 minutes and I end up <laughs> running the register at times. And so it's great when you can line up that personal interest with what you're doing. The other thing is is we try to build a discipline around it. And so what doesn't 
get measured doesn't get improved and it certainly doesn't become a habit. And so what I have found has worked for us is we build that into our process. And so every quarter, as we're planning out features, as we're planning out campaigns, we lay out, okay, like what is our customer insights roadmap looks, right? So we, it is a formal a part of our plan. Sometimes I, I hate to, to say this term, but it's also sometimes a, a formal part of our OKRs. And if you have to sometimes brute force it and say, okay, Marcus, like this quarter, you are responsible for having talked to at least 20 customers. That starts to build the, the habit of just like, it is, is, it's part of my day-to-day job. I think when we don't make it a formal part of our responsibility, it tends to fall off the wayside. Like we all mm-hmm. get super busy. And so I make that part of our PMM plan. And then once we have a a good sense, for example, what the quarter is going to look like, we will spend a bunch of time debating, like, what are the questions that we really don't have answers to? And then based on those questions and how we plan to to apply those learnings, we'll decide, okay, is is this something that we can solve by talking to current customers? That's usually where we start always. Is it something that we could talk to by to customers that have churned? Or do we really need to think through like the formal market research approach and look through vendors and do we want a qual or do we want quant? But I will say 90% of the time we can get 90% of the way there by talking to current customers and talking to deals or customers that we have lost. And so once we, like I said, and everything needs at the end of the day needs to be lined up to business objectives. And we have to have a really strong sense of what this research is going to do for the ultimate goal. One of the things that I try to avoid is just doing research for research sake, right? Mm -hmm. Cause like you'll end up with a wonderful survey and a wonderful Google sheet with data and some slides, but if you don't really have a plan for putting it into um, practice and the types of implications that it can have, it's, it's a bit of a wasted, wasted sort of effort. And so we do all kinds of stuff. Like at Square, we have to have a really high burden of proof for engaging vendors when so many times we'll just figure out creative ways of talking to our customers. We have the luxury of being able, maybe not these at these tricky times, but like we can go into businesses and just observe many times. Yeah. Like it's, customers love it when you just come by and check in on them and have a conversation with them. And for me, I have to admit that I tend to stay away from doing the whole sort of vendor paid research unless it's a big thing. Typically, if there's a big downside risk of getting something wrong, if it involves, let's say you're trying to move into a new market or Mm -hmm. a new segment and you have very little operational and institutional knowledge, maybe we'll consider that. Or if you're, for some reason, your current customers are not representative of where you want to go, then you don't want to rely on them to inform a future decision. But um, yeah, I just find that I I will always prefer the scrappy hands-on approach to research. Yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. I think it's it's really good advice for product marketers to find uh, a job or a space that you're just personally interested in. To your point, I think we do need to know the customers in the market really well. And of course, you can be a good PMM in a space where you maybe don't naturally have that, but it's just harder. I think it's easier to, to be in a space where you maybe have, I hear a lot of PMMs who 
they're working at John Rooney, who was just on the show. He was a developer before he was a PM. And now he's working at New Relic where the audience is developers. And I think you hear a lot of stories like that because they have that alignment. Yeah. And I think it keeps you interested in the, in the role too. So Love that. I will not take you out to coffee so that you spend an hour <laughs> talking to the games using their systems, but super interesting point. We also do that OKR thing where it's, you know what, we're going to have a number of customers that we should talk to every month because you do, I think hopefully it's naturally part of the culture, but I think it's smart. I think it's just a good way to make that easy to say, Hey, let's have this in the in the backlog as a thing we're going to do every month and make sure that we don't forget about it because it, you can when you're working on a lot of things. And then I also agree with you too. I think that those big research studies, we do them at HubSpot and they are very valuable, but that's not the only definition of research. Like a lot of the totally. times you, you can... I'm going to go to talk to five customers to get educated on this specific topic. And that can give you a ton of insights. I'm not sure if this is your experience as well, but I think like we have a natural tendency to compartmentalize like, okay, as PMM, at least at Square, like we have a go-to-market sort of responsibility and then I have a product development responsibility. And we tend to silo like the questions that we solve in each of these hemispheres. And the one of the things that I've started to think about more recently is like, how can I answer some of these go-to-market questions using the product itself? And so simple example is like just sending a survey to customers that have recently onboarded. How did you hear about Square? Like, why did you pick us? Is this the first time that you use something like a point of sale system? And so the more you can trigger these questions, the more you make them part of product usage, ideally in a way that is not intrusive, that's, that's delightful and additive to someone's experience. Just having those mechanisms on autopilot has become so helpful for us because at any given point, you have a very up-to-date repository of knowledge that is mostly representative of the customers that are using you today, not necessarily a sample that you can buy from a panel or things like that. And we now more recently spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, how do we get answers from people using the product itself at that particular moment? Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, we don't, we have done that, but don't do it enough. And I think it makes a lot of sense. It's such an easy way to get a lot of data quickly from a specific segment. So I love that idea. I think that's a good segue to the next topic. What other ways are you recording? Like, how do you record this data, whether it's interviews or customer research, and then how do you codify it or gather insights from it? Tell me about that process. What does that look like? Yeah, so it depends. I would love to tell you like, oh, we have an awesome wiki of all of the insights that we've gathered along the years. And to a certain extent, that's true. And you can think about like the, the typical kind of content repositories, making sure that like you do the traditional kind of lunch and learns every once in a while. And all of those sort of traditional knowledge sharing mechanisms, that's definitely something that we rely on. But I think what has worked for us more recently is to embed sort of these insights, like creating an artifact out of those insights efforts becomes like a really big part of how we uh, succeed with them. And so it could be a description of a persona. It could also be a little sort of printout that we distribute. It could be a, a newsletter or whatever. But one of the things that we try to do, particularly as we are trying to roll out 
these insights and implications to cross-functional partners is to embed this learning in the artifacts that these teams already use. And so what we will do is anytime a feature that we're planning to build is going to be relevant for this audience, we insert these findings into the PRD. Because we'll know, we know that PMs are living and breathing PRDs and they spent, it is a big part of their day-to-day -day jobs, making sure that everybody has a common understanding of what we're going to build. What's oh, the PRD? Break that uh, down for us. Oh, a PRD. My bad. A PRD, it's amazing. Like we live and die by acronyms, but a PRD is a product requirements document. Okay. And what that is, it's basically, it acts as the source of truth for a feature that is going to be built. And our product and engineering partners basically use that as the blueprint for particular projects that they're working on. And so we tend to, as product marketers, make sure that the PRD always has a section on like target insights and what's the latest on this particular issue. And so we make these insights part of the, the artifacts that people already use. Our job is also to make sure that these insights are reflected in our go-to-market efforts. And even though we don't necessarily work on brand campaigns, we have to make sure that the results of this research are part of the brief on a brand campaign. Same with paid marketing. And so we'll stay in touch with all of these different teams and different teams have different ways of doing their work. And our goal is to plug into that and just to make sure that every piece of work or every instrument that other teams use already has this research as a part of that. We obviously also, like I said, like we'll try to make it fun and bring in actual customers to talk about yeah. some of the insights that we've developed. And it is really, it's a lot easier now that we're all virtual. And so yeah. we'll have them explain. But for the most part, I think most of our work is making insights just a much more natural part of our day-to-day -day responsibility. We don't want to categorize it as insights, right? It's a bucket of work that we do. It is basically what makes everybody successful. And so the more we can make it part of the routine, the more natural it becomes. Yeah, I really like that approach. I think that's something that product marketing teams struggle with where it's like, all right, I've created this messaging guide or this doc about a certain, like, like personas are a good example. And I think we can get into personas, but like I've created this persona and we've done all this work into it. And then you put it out there and people look at it for a week and then dust settles on top of it and no one sees it again. Yep. Better it. approach is what you're doing. Yeah. Build it into the, the PRD, the thing that product is hovering around anyway, into the brief. Working with sales, it's the same thing where it's like, all right, same thing. instead of, yeah, we're not going to make them come to this required training that they don't want to go to. Let's just build it into whatever tool or system they're already using because I think you want to optimize for usage with this stuff, right? Like you want, what good is it if no one uses it? Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's move over to personas then, and I can kick it off. I think personas are, are a little problematic for a lot of reasons. I think that's what kind of what we want to get into. They are one of the few tools that I think everybody in product marketing like talks about a lot as a sort of standard, but I do think they're People are evolving past them in a lot of ways. But how do you think is, do you use personas? Is it a tool you use? If not, how do you capture and communicate insights about the customer? It is a tool that we use for sure. 
I will say we use it lightly. And 2020 was a tremendous lesson in how quickly things can change and how quickly documents and plans and tools become irrelevant. And so for us, what's also tricky is that everybody, right, even within the same company or within the same function has a slightly different definition of what a persona is and what it should be used for. I think in the lowest common denominator, I think in my view is a detailed description of who you're trying to sell to, one that includes what are the primary motivations, what are they ultimately trying to achieve. It should capture the way that your target customer makes decisions, right? What are the sources of influence? I think sometimes those that get missed and it should be actionable. I think that that's the biggest problem with a lot of the time that we spend developing these profiles of our target customers. And so in a world like ours, if I don't know what media they consume or are they more influenceable by their peers versus paid advertising, there's nothing I can do with that. And so I think that last step of, okay, like, what do I do with this and how do I make Mm. decisions is often missed. And the other thing that I try to make sure our product marketers understand and our product managers understand is that sometimes the persona tool that you use for acquisition is different than something you would use for product development. In conversations with product teams, I get into debates around, for example, if a customer is using a certain feature, that becomes a descriptor of a persona and a target, but that doesn't help me as a marketer. Like I can't go out and find millions of business owners that really love this clock in, clock out feature for their employees. And they feel very strongly about it. And they feel that is critical to the success of the product is having this feature. And so it helps to understand what types of decisions you want to make with these persona descriptions, who who is the audience for them, and what are the implications of including certain variables and excluding certain variables. And so at Square, we've evolved to a place where we have a version of a description that is, okay, here's the ideal POS user. They clock in the morning. They will use functionality like reporting. They're typically updating their inventory, blah, 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 all these things that require so much time to build. But on the go-to-market side, I'm just much more interested in describing whether this particular business is in growth mode or barely trying to make it mode. That has way different implications on on how I try to talk to them. And it's a helpful starting point, particularly if it's tailored for the audience and the types of decisions that you want to make with them. I think they can become quite tricky if you get super addicted to developing these and have that be the main deliverable. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good stuff in there. Great point around how quickly things can change. If you're just, if you're not paying attention, if everybody saw the change in the world, especially in a space like yours, over the last 12 months, but there's smaller stuff too that you're not, you'll miss if you're not paying attention and not thinking of these things as like a constant work in progress. So I think that's good advice. And also just some of the nuances you're talking about. It's like, it's nice to have a framework or to know, to know if this is, Hey, maybe the most important thing is whether this business is in growth mode or if they're just trying to get by. And then we have a common language to describe these two scenarios. And there's, but there's, that's an, there's nuance there between how the go-to-market teams use it, how the product teams use it. I think that's just what's important. I think sometimes these things get 
oversimplified and you just lose you're thinking about this oversimplified like caricature of your customer, which isn't good. It ends up like you becoming not customer focused because this thing is not in it. This thing is it's not as accurate. Exactly. As it yeah. It, the lowest common denominator becomes too low yeah. to be useful. Right. Yes. Yes. Any, anything else there? Any other issues or, you know, problems that you've seen that you guys have had to work around with personas and customer insights? We definitely, I think in my career, I've seen marketers and definitely people, I think outside of marketing become over-reliant on personas. And so what, what I mean by that is if we have a description of who our target customer is, and we are so focused on this particular type of customers, we tend to not pay attention to potential opportunities. We tend to not want to take risks. And because you have this on paper and having it on paper makes it, or in Google Docs, in our case, it makes it more official and we can become a little lazy, right? Trying to continuously learn how customers are evolving, how technology is changing the way customers interact with our products. And so we definitely want to make sure that we revisit them quite frequently and that again, people use them as a starting point, but not ultimately the, literally, right? I only have this segment of revenue to go after this type of uh, demographic to go after. And so I tend to at least want to cross-reference or look at what we've done ideally every quarter. Like with the pandemic, obviously we had to change who we were talking to and, and the way we were talking to, to them on the spot. And mm -hmm. so for example, like Square Point of Sale is a wonderful product for taking in-person payments. And mm -hmm. all of our value props were designed around countertop sort of small businesses. And we knew from one day to the next that people weren't going to take care of their customers at the counter. And so they were starting to take payments remotely. We needed to understand their attitudes towards like omni-channel behaviors and things like that. And of course we had no research to confirm any of that, right? Like it's it just happened from one day to the next. And so it, it was such a powerful lesson in, in us like really saying, okay, things change very quickly. What are the characteristics and the dynamics that are much more subject to change versus those that are also like a little bit more tried and true and universal? And, and I think that's another really good exercise as product marketers go through this is just what do I, what can I hold as almost as a universal truth versus something that's a lot more malleable by the technology, by the economic economic environment, yeah. by competitors, et cetera. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and that's what a cool opportunity for you guys too. I feel like that is your customers and users probably really needed the help there too, to adapt to this massive change in the world. I'm sure you helped some people out there go from, all right, we're only in person, we got to do these and now we're because that's a big pivot for a small business owner. Yeah, and what like that propensity and that willingness to change and to say, okay, I used to run a restaurant, now I'm running my business on Postmates on Uber Eats. And right. just that willingness to, to pivot becomes a, a defining characteristic in and of itself. It does, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's what helps the, uh, not always the smartest or strongest who succeed, it's those who are uh, most adaptable. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think, what's your outlook on the career of product marketing right now? Do you think it's a good place to be? I think it's a wonderful place to be. I I am very bullish on the the notion that in order for businesses to grow, particularly at a time where things change so quickly and so unexpectedly, having someone at the table that understands 
what you're building and why, for whom, and, and how to communicate that value, that is always going to be a company's competitive advantage. I love being in product marketing because we do sit at the intersection of, of business and the technology, and we're part of the conversations that those decisions that ultimately drive growth and have an impact on the bottom line and to be able to be so close to it where you're having these conversations on should we build this or that and and should we talk about it this way or that way or go after this market very few functions have such a 360 view of that process and then and then see it in market and have it be successful i think is one of the most powerful functions in a company. And, and so that's why I particularly and Square, just like we believe so strongly in people that want to change a small business that believe in, in this notion of economic empowerment, because if you believe in it personally, you're more likely to think about it all the time. And, and that tends to translate into really innovative ideas that may or may not come from market research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It is. I love all those points. It's absolutely very interesting and fun job to sit right there in the middle and have that view. Anything to share with the listeners? Anything that you've got going on that you want to tell people about? Square is hiring a ton. So shameless plug, visit yeah. our careers page. Feel free to email me directly. We're always looking for intellectually curious, smart, driven product marketers that want to make a difference in the economy and small business and feel free to reach out. There's all types of roles. Awesome. Cool. Augustina, thank you for giving us some time and coming on the show. It was really nice to chat with you. Thank you so much. It's alright